Uh, it is uh, wonderful, isn't it, to be able to just be with each other. It's just great to have a church that enjoys each other's company. Amen? Amen. Yeah. Um, and so I want to just share with you um, this morning, I love good stories. I love good stories. Um, I love, and, and most of the time where I, I really find good stories are obviously in books. But for me, a lot of times where I find really good stories is also in movies. Sometimes movies tell really, really good stories. Uh, when I was first hired here at, at, at the time, it was Northwest Community. One of the questions that I was asked was, Dan, what is your favorite movie? And I actually wrote this down as part of the application process, I think, at the time. And you all still hired me anyway, because the movie I put down was Tommy Boy. I kid you not, it was Tommy Boy. Um, I look back on that now and I thought, that's really strange. I mean, I, I, I just, that was the movie in college for me. It, it was just kind of stuck. Um, I wouldn't pick that movie now for all various reasons. Um, if you were to ask me that same question today, Dan, what is your favorite movie? I would say Lord of the Rings. Oh, Lord of the Rings. I might be, I, you know, not that it would have changed anything, but maybe you might have took, taken me more seriously had I, had I put that down, but nonetheless. Um, yeah, Lord of the Rings. That is the kinds of movies, and I mean all three of them, and I mean all the extended editions of those movies, which, by the way, if you ever watch them back to back to back, which, by the way, I've never done, I think it would take at least 10, maybe 12 hours to watch these things. It is one of, those, one of those series that I can watch over and over and over and over again. In fact, there come certain points where I think, yeah, I'm, I'm, I need to watch Lord of the Rings again. It's just, have you ever had a movie like that? Have you ever had a book, maybe, that you thought, this was so good, I have to read this over and over and over and over again, right? It is just, it is such a good story. I heard this. What do you call a book club that never changes books? Church. <laughs> right? Church. That's a, that's, a, that's a book club that never changes books is, is church, right? It's, it's true. We have one book, one book by which we study, one book by which we kind of orient our lives around, one book that we look to for guidance, because it is in that book that we find the words of life as Jesus shared and as Peter confirmed after all of his followers left and Jesus turns to his 12 disciples after the feeding of the 5,000, which was an amazing miracle, right? A couple of loaves of bread and some fish, and he feeds 5,000 men alone. That didn't include the women and the children, by the way. If you throw them all in there, is it probably at least double, if not triple, that amount? And after that, Jesus begins to share what it means to follow him, and he loses in that process all of these followers, and he looks to the 12, and he says, are you going to leave as well? And Jesus says, or rather, Peter says, where are we going to go? Where are we going to go? You have the words of life. You have the words of life. Where are we going to? It is, I mean, the Bible is filled with so many good stories so many good stories now i'm a pastor 
It's probably an expectation of me. But even if I wasn't, I'll just share with you, I don't know how many times I have read the Bible from Genesis to maps, but I have I maybe more than seven times, if not more. I, I, I can't remember the, I'm doing it again. I, I just, it's just beautiful. And what is so unique about it is these stories grip me. These stories are just so phenomenal. And the worst thing I think I can do as a preacher is to not give due credit or rather kind of in some ways water down or mute the emotional, the excitement of many of the stories that we find in Scripture because they're wonderful. They're phenomenal. By the way, they're not always clean and PG. Yeah. Um, we're going through a Bible study in the young adult group and I'm not going to read the passage to you because it is awful. But there is a passage in Ezekiel where God just absolutely levels Israel. Just levels Israel. In ways that I think, God, even that's, oh, God, that's inappropriate. You know? It's just, it, it's just real, though. Because life is real. Life isn't PG all the time. And, and yet, stories, you know, what makes for me such a good story, in addition to the scriptures going back to the Lord of the Rings, is the fact that, man, the characters are phenomenal. The plot is great. The conflict, what's going on there, is really, really quite amazing. I mean, you're just wrapped up in this story, and the conclusion is beautiful. The conclusion of it is beautiful. In many ways, I think that's what kind of makes really good stories, is the characters that are involved, the plot that's there, the conflict you know, the, the, the tension that is there, and as well as finally the conclusion. How does it end? How does it end? These are all really good components or elements that I think make for a great story. And what I'm so grateful for is that when we come to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it's a great story. It's a great story. For all of these reasons that I've just shared, it is a gripping story. It's a story that just, it's, it's just like from start to finish, you're like, no, really? Really? I can't believe it. This is unbelievable. This is unbelievable. This morning, I'm going to do something that I tell our rest of our associate pastors not to do. But I'm doing it. So um, this doesn't give license, by the way, to the associate pastors, but so be it. Once you get up here, you can't control what someone's going to say right? Or what they're going to do. Um, I am going to read for you out of the message paraphrase, because I want you to hear the story of the resurrection in a different way. That I think the way that Eugene Peterson, who authored the message, shares it in such a unique way, that I want you to hear this story through the way that he writes it. So out of Matthew 28, I'm going to read this chapter, and it's the story of Jesus's resurrection. It says this, after the Sabbath, as the first light of the new week dawned, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, most likely Jesus' aunt, okay, came to keep vigil at the tomb. Now, some of the accounts will say that there was probably the third Mary. There's a lot of Marys, by the way, in the Gospels. Okay, sort them out. Here it is. Suddenly, the earth reeled and rocked under their feet as God's angel came down from heaven and came right up to where they were standing. 
He rolled back the stone and then sat on it. Shafts of lightning blazed from him. His garments shimmered snow white. The guards at the tomb were scared to death. They were so frightened they couldn't move. Yeah, understandable. Goes on and says this. The angel spoke to the woman. There is nothing to fear here. I know you're looking for Jesus, the one they nailed to the cross. He is not here. He was raised. Just as he said, come and look at the place where he was placed. Now, get on your way quickly and tell his disciples, he is risen from the dead. He is going on ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. That's the message. That's it. That's the message. The women, deep in wonder and full of joy, lost no time in leaving the tomb. They ran to tell the disciples, then Jesus met them, stopping them in their tracks. Good morning, he said. They fell to their knees, embraced his feet, and worshipped him. And Jesus said, you're holding on to me for dear life. Don't be frightened like that. Go tell my brothers that they are to go to Galilee, and I'll meet them there. Meanwhile, the guards had scattered, but a few of them went into the city and told the high priests everything that had happened. And they called a meeting of the religious leaders and came up with a plan. They took a large sum of money and gave it to the soldiers, bribing them to say, his disciples came in the night and stole the body while we were sleeping. And they assured them, if the governor hears about your sleeping on duty, we will make sure you don't get blamed. So the soldiers took the bribe and did as they were told. That story, cooked up in the Jewish high council, is still going around. Now I'm going to stop right there. What a great story! What an unbelievable story in many ways. What a... A story right there where the characters are in some ways, I think, kind of relatable. Who are the characters in the story? Well, we have Mary and Mary. We have the angel. I'm not so relatable to the angel. Um, but then we have the soldiers. I can relate to the soldiers. And we have Jesus, right? These are really amazing characters. And what makes these characters so awesome and so unique is the wide variety uh, particularly among Mary and Mary and the prisoners or uh, the, the guards is the wide range of emotions and their perspectives at what's going on. Now, here's the conflict, the kind of the heightened tension. Jesus is not dead. The tomb is empty. We got a problem here from the soldier's perspective and Mary and Mary's perspective, by the way. They expected to come to the tomb to find Jesus's body there so that they could keep watch mourn, and also continue the burial process, which had to be hurried because it was when he died the day before the Sabbath. And so all of a sudden now, you have an empty tomb. Jesus is not there. The fact that Jesus isn't where he was supposed to be has caused an enormous amount of angst among humans for centuries and centuries and centuries. The fact that Jesus didn't show up where we thought he should be the fact that Jesus wasn't where we think he ought to have been has caused a lot of angst over the years. Because I don't know about you, but there are some times, and believe this, that I think Jesus should be showing up here, but he's not there. 
That causes some conflict. Jesus, where were you? By the way, if you've ever mouthed those words or said those words, you and I are not the first ones to say those words, right? Lazarus's sisters also said the same thing. You were not where you were supposed to be, Jesus. You should have been here, right? Everyone was expecting in those days, his followers, the guards, the high priest, the, priest, the priests below them, were expecting Jesus to be in the tomb come Sunday morning. And he wasn't where he was supposed to be. That's conflict. That's conflict. And so all of a sudden now, you have this idea of what are we going to do with the fact that Jesus was not here. Here's the amazing thing about this. Jesus wasn't the first movement that was to happen about freeing the people of Israel under you know, bondage to the Roman Empire and to their occupying powers that be. In Jesus' day, there were, so, there were many, if you might believe, movements to try to get Israel free. There was, there were, Jewish people were always looking for a savior. Save us from our current situation. Here was the problem with that. It turned out that people who would rise up and that they would say, this is our savior who is going to once again free us from Roman captivity would all of a sudden now be arrested by the Romans and most likely would also die under Roman hands because they were causing an insurrection, right? And so all of a sudden now, if your leader of your movement dies, you typically in those days had two choices. One was this, go home and let the movement die. It's over. It's done. Or number two, find a new savior. Okay, the first one didn't work out. Let's get another one. Do you know what we as Christians did? Starting with the disciples, we took the third option. You know what the third option was? It was this. Our Savior's not dead. The movement still goes on, and we will not look for another one because our Savior is alive. That's Mary and Mary's perspective. Wow, Jesus is here. You're alive. And I love the fact that they're gripping him so tightly. He's like, hey, it's okay. You don't have to grip me so tightly. It's, it's, you don't have to be so frightened. It's all good. It's all good. It's all good. Then there's the second option. And that was of the soldiers. And the soldiers basically were told with a bribe, say that the body was stolen. Lie. Lie about it. Every single one of us has to come to some sort of conclusion about the empty tomb. Either we embrace the fact that Jesus is alive or we don't. It's that simple. There are two options. That's it. That's an amazing story with an amazing conclusion here. It's just unbelievable. And so all of a sudden now, we see all of this as, in the end here, a responsibility of what it looks like, if, if you will, a gripping story. Compelling characters, a, a, a phenomenal or intense conflict, and all of a sudden now, we have this conclusion. What do we do with the fact that Jesus has been raised from the dead? But you see, the story doesn't end there. It simply doesn't end there. 
Let me read the rest of this passage in Matthew 28. It says this. Meanwhile, the 11 disciples were on their way to Galilee, headed for the mountain Jesus had set for their reunion. The moment they saw him, they worshipped him. Some, though, held back, not sure about worship, about risking themselves totally, uncertain. And then Jesus, undeterred, went right ahead and gave his charge. God authorized and commanded me to commission you. Go out and train everyone you meet, far and near, in this way of life, marking them by baptism in the threefold name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Then instruct them in the practice of all I have commanded you, and I'll be with you as you do this day after day after day, right up to the end of the age. I love what theologian and pastor N.T. Wright says about the resurrection story. He says this, the resurrection completes the inauguration of God's kingdom. It is the decisive event demonstrating that God's kingdom really has been launched on earth as it is in heaven. The message of Easter is that God's new world has been unveiled in Jesus Christ and that you are now invited to belong to it. You know what the problem with the Lord of the Rings and other great stories of fiction that are out there, right? Is that in the Lord of the Rings, I, I just so much would love to live in a hobbit hole. <laughs> I would love to try llama's bread. I would love to have a staff like Gandalf be able to fight a Belrock, <laughs> right? If you don't know what I'm talking about, don't worry. It's my nerdy side. It's all good, okay? Um, it, 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 I would love to do that. I'm sure that there are millions and millions of kids who would love to have a magic wand like Harry Potter and go to London and go to the train platform and look for nine and three quarters. By the way, that is the most popular platform in London. You know what the problem with that is? It doesn't exist. None of these things exist. There is no Shire. It doesn't exist. There is no, you know, Hogwarts. There is none of this stuff. There is no actual game of Quidditch that one can play, although that looks like a lot of fun to play it. Right? I mean, it's, it's, it looks like a lot of fun. You can't play it. I mean, that, the best thing, the only closest thing we could ever come to experiencing something like that is to go to some amusement park, Universal Studios or some other area that we can experience in some minute way what it might be like to live in that world. But here's the problem. First of all, it's really expensive often to get in those places, <laughs> right? And secondly, you have to leave and go back in the real world. The story ends. It doesn't exist. As great as these stories are, they are, in the end, fiction. They don't exist. They end. But that is not so with the resurrection. What makes this story so compelling, what makes this story so different than all of the other great stories that we get to encounter, what makes this story incredibly unique is the fact that this story is real. This story happened. 
And not only that, this story of the resurrection can also be our story. We can actually be a part of this story in a real and powerful way. Think about it. Because Jesus is alive, we can be alive. Because the tomb is empty, we can now live eternally with him. Because of the fact that Jesus has walked out of that tomb, we are no longer bound by sin and by death. Whatever we have done, whether it be presently or even in our past, that we have now been defined by and others have defined us by, we are no longer defined by what we have done in our past, the sins that we have committed, the hurts that we have brought. All of that is no longer defining us. We are defined by the fact that Jesus is alive, the tomb is empty, we are forgiven, and we can have eternal life with Jesus Christ. That's a story. Now that's a good story. And the beautiful thing about it is you can have that story a part of your life today. It can happen. You can make this story your story. And it's real. And it is absolutely real. And all you have to do is believe. Is believe. I shared this story on Friday with a, a person in our church here, and I, I love how Pastor Alistair, Alistair Begg, he shares a unique perspective on the thief on the cross. And when Jesus looks at the thief, one was, they were both taunting him, but one, or one was taunting him, and the other just said, stop it. And Jesus looks at him and says, today you'll be with me in paradise. After he says to Jesus, remember me. And Alistair Begg, he frames this so well. He says, I want to search that guy out when I get to heaven. And I want to say, how did it turn out for you? How did it turn out for you? I mean, can you imagine him showing up at the gates, as Alistair Begg shares, and all of a sudden now, the angel's sitting there going, why are you here? What, what, I mean, what, what's going on? He calls over the supervising angel. Hey, I got, I got a problem. I got a guy here. I don't know what to do with this guy. And the supervising angel comes along and says, oh, you're here. Well, let me understand something. Have you ever read the Bible? No, never read the Bible. I don't know what you're talking about. Do you understand the doctrine of salvation? Never heard of it. Do you, ever, do you, ever, do you, do you know justification by faith? Have no clue what that means. Don't understand. But then why are you here? Because the guy on the middle cross said I could come. You don't need to know all that fancy stuff. You just need to believe. And if you're willing to do that, Jesus' story can become your story. And our stories can now be interwoven with Jesus. And that's a beautiful, beautiful conclusion. Here's the irony is the ending of Jesus' life on earth is rather a new beginning for our life to be with him in paradise. That story is continuing to go. It never, ever ends. So this morning, I only have one question, and it's this. Are you wanting your story to be like Jesus's? If so, just believe. Say, yes, Jesus, I want my story to be your story. 
I want to live because you are alive. I want to live because you saved me. That is a story worth telling. That is the greatest story ever told. Let's pray. Jesus, words elude me in this moment. I am grateful, unbelievably grateful. I, Jesus, I am so excited for this day, and I get excited for this day all the time because it's victory, because it's life, because it's hope, because it is everything, Jesus, that is in many ways opposite of what life can be so much like every single day. Whether we turn on the news, whether we're with family and friends and we see tragedy and we say hurt and we see pain and we say heartache, I am so grateful that in the end it doesn't always point to the cross, but Jesus, it also points to an empty tomb. And I'm so, great, so grateful, Jesus, that the story of my life is not yet finished. That because, Jesus, you are alive, my story can be yours. And your story can be mine. That because you live, Jesus, I can live. And because you died, Jesus, I am now saved. I pray, Jesus, that today, whether we know you or we don't know you, that today we would either affirm our belief that yes, our story is interwoven with yours, Jesus. It's awesome. And if, Lord, we don't know you, that today we would say, yes, Jesus, I believe. I want my story to be interwoven with your story. Because, Jesus, you are alive. Thank you, Jesus, for this day. Thank you for a story that never ends. Thank you for allowing us the opportunity, as you instructed your disciples, we get to do the same, to tell your story and allow people to become a part of what you are doing and a part of your kingdom. It's in your holy and precious name we pray. Amen.